What's going on, guys? We are back today with another episode. Coming back with my brother, Altamash Raja. What's up, my man? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing amazing now that gyms can somewhat open. Yeah, yeah. It's and, exciting uh, time. Yeah. The weather's getting better. Man, this, this uh, weekend, it's like in the 70s, high 70s, low 80s. No rain, no humidity. I walked outside of my apartment today, and I felt the breeze and the sun at the same time. I don't remember... I don't even know what that's supposed to feel like anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, to me, it was still definitely cooler. Like, I was not a hot, crazy hot day. Yeah. But uh, still a little too hot for me. But definitely, you can definitely tell me, at least in the evenings, it's getting cooler and it's much more nicer. And I, and I love it. Right on, man. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely good. So what are we talking about today, man? So today we are talking about the quantity and quality of, uh, I guess you can say nutrition or macros. Yeah, so these are certainly gonna be a little bit advanced principles, right, guys? Um, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, I think it was episode two, uh, that's definitely a precursor to this one. You know, we, we emphasize the, the three most important things to us when we look at nutrition and our approach to nutrition. And, and that, in that episode, we emphasize a lot on food quality. And there's no denying that that's certainly the most important one when it comes to it. Um, and down the road, the next, logical thing is going to be the actual quantity of food that matters as well. And then uh, probably the least important on, um, you know, on the tree is going to be uh, the timing of when you actually nutrient timing is what we call it. So uh, we're going to talk about that today. We're excited. This is a fun topic and uh, this is a complex topic. So we're hopefully going to simplify it for you a little bit. Before we get started, we want to remind you that everything in this podcast is for general information only. We are not providing any medical advice, and we are recommending that you seek the guidance of your personal physician or your personal health coach uh, for any issues that you might have or before you start your fitness journey. But uh, if you're cleared and you're good to go, um, then hopefully some of these tips will help you out. So Gallo, um, first one is going to be quantity, right? So uh, what are your thoughts? Like, I mean, we talked about quality. We know people should be eating good whole foods. Um, we've developed some supplementation myths. Um, what's your, what's your next step when you're, when you're looking at food quantity and you're discussing it with your athletes and your clients? Well, when it comes to food, I was, I would literally just have a nutrition consultation with a, with a client of mine and breaking down, like, I guess you can say quality of food. There is a big difference when it comes to having say, you know, and I'm going to start off with say some, you know, breakfast. All right. And, I'm not sure what your thoughts will be, but there is definitely, I think, a great difference with having, say, your carb source, right? So say you're having, like, you know, one of my main uh, dishes that I like having recently is is oats with protein powder. And then you add, a, you know, add a bunch of other stuff in it. But that is a much, like, nutrient-dense, densely better than, say, having a bagel and cream cheese for breakfast. But again, right, it, it depends maybe on the person's goal. Like if your goal is fat loss, then I'm going to suggest that, you know, we make a slight change with whatever we're having when it comes to, I guess you say, the carb selection. But for somebody who is looking to possibly uh, put on some muscle mass and some size, then that bagel is going to help them, right? So again, it, it comes down to a, a individual standpoint. And also, you know, and I look at it, I look at, at that choice as I'm trying to optimize my body with the, with my food selection as best as I can. So if oats 
to me is a much better selection than a bagel, then I'm going to opt for oats. And uh, and again, it, it you know it can come down to a lot of uh, lots of individual choices that that person prefers to eat and have, right? Because again, you know, when I when I sit down with a client and we're talking about setting up a a game plan, I want that client to have foods that she personally likes when it comes to the quality of food, as opposed to just me telling them have this, have that. Because then consistency and adherence goes out the window. Now, are you giving that specific example because of the glycemic index and kind of like the insulin response? Or are you looking at it from the food, the caloric density aspect of it? I'm looking from the caloric density yeah. aspect so you, of it, yes. Just, just for people, can you describe what that word exactly means, like caloric density, and give examples of high, highly calorically dense food versus low calorically dense food? Yeah. So like, I mean, for caloric dense food, like one example I can think of from top of my head that is, I guess you could say in a very good way, not a bad way, but would be like say homemade granola, right? I think that is a a good option when it comes to highly um, high caloric dense food, as opposed to say having something like as a bagel or, or a muffin or, um, you know, so, something that usually like I, I've seen either my parents have or just I think the the general uh, consensus for like the population, you know, they, they're rushing off to work. So they stop by Dunkin' Donuts and get a cream cheese bagel or they get a uh, blueberry muffin. And you don't really think of it, but if if you're deciding on which option you want to go with for it to optimize your results and again, energy balance, I think the better option is going to be something that's going to be very nutrient caloric dense, like granola, as opposed to a muffin or bagel who probably doesn't have that much nutrition at all. So I think it's important to kind of uh, differentiate between nutrient density and caloric density, right? So for instance, I think if people don't understand, you keep talking about cream cheese. I think cream cheese is the, the specific component of the bagel with cream cheese that's really mm-hmm. dense because it has a lot of fat, right? So one gram of carbohydrate is four kilocalories. One gram of protein is four kilocalories, which to simplify, some people might argue it's a little bit less because it's um, more thermogenic. And one gram of fat is nine kilocalories, right? So the more fats that you're gonna eat, the more calorically dense they're gonna be. So a simple, like a handful of nuts, like walnuts or almonds or pecans, um, might give you 200 to 300 calories, depending on how big your handful is. Whereas 300 calories of, of lettuce is like, I don't know, a bucket. It's ridiculous. It's a bucket, right? yeah. And, and also, like, it comes down to also, like, say, having that cream cheese bagel or having, like, oats for breakfast or, like, protein or, or, or whatever it is in that dish you're having. There's going to be a, a substantial difference with how the oats is going to hold up for a few hours and, and your appetite, you won't be as hungry as opposed to having a cream cheese bagel because you're going to be hungry within probably two hours again. Yeah. And that's a multifactorial thing again. And that, mm-hmm. that's kind of why I asked you about the glycemic thing, because I think the bagel is going to, going to, going to cause a massive insulin like, response. It's going yeah, to yeah, affect like your glucose and, and therefore, but oats or oatmeal, um, that we know that they're more complex carbohydrates and it's going to be lower on the glycemic index and lower on the insulin index as well. 
and it's probably going to keep you full for longer, which is kind of what you're talking about. So I do love that mm-hmm. you, you hit kind of, you know, a two pronged approach for that. Um, yeah, that, that's usually the way I look at it when I, when I, I'm talking about like quality of food is just kind of, you know, from an energy standpoint, it was going to keep you fuller longer. And just uh, from a neutral nutritional standpoint, what's going to give you the most bang for your buck. Yeah. Right. So, but in terms of like how much to eat, right. Uh, it, it's hard, obviously when you eat those, when you eat uh, chocolate or candy or protein bar or something, um, and then you, it kind of makes you want to come back and eat more and more and more, right? It doesn't, it's, it, I mean, there, there is, I mean, it, again, that, that's a difficult one uh, because sugar is kind of an addictive property is the way it affects you. So I don't want to really get into that. But in terms of, I know PN has this really cool approach and they tend to use, uh, you know, the size of your palms and because we don't want to maybe too, too much emphasize on measuring uh, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Because that, that can be, I think, challenging, although a good approach if you're a very, very analytical person and that's something that suits you, yeah. um, can work, but yeah. probably not sustainable, probably not what a lot of people are interested in. So uh, I'll, let, me, let, me, let me ask something before like we kind of like just skip over like uh, calorie counting. Okay. But because I do think, like, this is just like my firm belief that I think learning how to calorie count and doing it for, I'm not saying you have to do it forever, right? But doing it maybe for like a good three, four months and then learning from that is going to give you a great, like you said, like data behind how much you eat, when you're eating it, um, how much meals you're having and the amount of calories that you're eating. Because I think people don't really know how much to eat, how much to eat from a caloric standpoint and how much to eat from a if you really break it down from a protein, carb, fat standpoint, right? Yeah. It, so it's like, I think it can be very educational. I agree. That's the word. If someone did it. But again, it's, it, it can be very confusing and it can Perfect. be very stressful. Yeah, very stressful. And it, it might just like lead somebody to not want to do this at all again. Yeah. But, so and I say that. Because exactly I, I mean, our, our hope is to kind of simplify things for, for mm-hmm. people. Now, don't get me wrong. That's my favorite yeah. way to do it. Absolutely. Because I'm a very analytical person. I mean, you, you know, like I'm all about metrics and tracking and whatnot. And, and, and some people are like that. And, and that's the approach that works for them. Yeah. I do agree from the educational standpoint, because I think it gives people insight into how much they're truly actually eating. A lot of times that people have the misconception that they might be having 2000 calories or 1500 calories. And they're like, oh man, why can't I lose weight? I'm losing 1500 calories. And when, you know, my BMR is this, and these are the equations that I've calculated with. I should be able to lose it. And it's like, well, maybe you're not truly eating 1500 calories. So I agree from that standpoint. I don't even think somebody needs it personally for, for four months or three months. I think even shorter than that can work. Okay. Uh, and, and you know, what's good though, is I've also found that sometimes people do it and they're like, you know what? I, I like this. This is good. And yes. Yeah. I've had that. I've had that happen too. And then they want to continue doing it. And that's yep. cool too. Yeah. Um, I also have noticed not to like get too uh, off topic and sidetrack. And, uh, and again, like I like to base any type of nutritional game plan, you could say, or like nutrition coaching with whatever that person is enjoying to do. But I've noticed too, like a lot of my clients, and again, I'm always for whatever works for you and it's going to lead you to better results by all means do it. And I've had a couple, couple of clients who have tried, um, oh, man, what's that? What's that? Uh, it's an app. 
No, it's not an app, man. It, I, well, it, oh, wait, Weight Watchers. So I guess they have an app. Yeah. So Weight Watchers has like a point system. Right. And, and it's actually kind of similar. Like if it, Again, people don't know, but it's very similar to f- tracking your macros. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the way they gamify it is, I think for every, they give you a certain amount of points you have per day. But if you have like, I think it's protein, like the points don't count or something like that. I, f- I forget, but it's almost like the gamify world. I think like oh, okay. the more, points, the more protein same. you have, obviously you're yeah. going to feel fuller. So you're not going to want to eat more. Yeah. So like, you, but, but the way I, I would have to probably do a little bit more research, but I've talked to a few clients who have, who have uh, done Weight Watchers and they're doing Weight Watchers and they're using that, that system and it's working for them. And right. you, you, you want to stay under a certain threshold and yeah. like quote unquote cheap foods or bad foods, um, count points. And let's say you have 50 points for the day. I, I, I think I, I hear you. And that's kind of what it is in protein. If it's good quality protein, and yep. chicken, fish and whatnot, uh, you can eat because people don't tend to overconsume those foods. Right. I mean, that's, right. that's not something that you'll commonly see. In fact, it's very, very rare. Right. Right. Um, just like people don't tend to overconsume on broccoli or lettuce or whatever. Um, 100%. And that's, well, like, not, that's never anybody's problem. No, yeah, exactly. I never exactly. say never, but, all, but it's, it's almost never anybody's It's definitely problem. an interesting approach. Like I, haven't, I haven't done that much research into it, but just from hearing them talk about it, I'm just like, okay, it sounds like, it's kind of like, like a macro type calculator, but they found a way to kind of like, um, like reverse engineer the way the person's thinking about what they're having to eat without really thinking about tracking protein, carbs, and fat. I mean, that's a sign of successful business, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. So it's I mean, pretty, it's marketing. pretty cool. Like the concept is pretty cool. Yeah, you simplify it and you make it fun, and uh, like you said, you gamify it, and, and everybody likes loves playing games, so that's good. But um, and you know, not playing games here, right? <laughs> we actually want to give some serious information here and, and right. some some simple information. So uh, again, I alluded to the, the PN philosophy before about. Uh, using you know your palm and your hand. So if if somebody's not interested in calorie counting, because I think the calorie counting component probably doesn't need to be explained that well, because you can download an, an app just like Weight Watchers or what I typically use in my fitness pal, probably the mm-hmm. most popular one. Yeah, I'm sure there are other ones too, and that will, will give you information because typically you'll enter the food or you'll scan the food label. Um, and again, previously I mentioned the food labels aren't 100% accurate. And I think PN's written multiple articles about how many uh, discrepancies food labels have. And sometimes when you, you, you scan the food label and depending on the state it's in, for instance, um, you know, if you're first scanning the food label for raw chicken versus cooked chicken, it's drastically different. Um, and, yes. and so those kinds of things get a little bit confusing. And if your people are measuring their food, which is what I tend to do right on scale, and that's how I calculate it, then that can you, you use a scale? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I, when I, when I'll calculate it, I'll have a scale and that's how I'll go about it. Um, and again, you know, are you measuring your food cooked or uncooked because the water component, so I mean, those things get a little bit tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, it's probably a little bit outside the scope of what we want to emphasize today. So if you just had to simplify it for people, how would you tell them they can look at their quantities when they're trying to eat a meal? The quantity of the food? Mm-hmm. I would say the best from, you know, again, from, from a portion control standpoint and doing what uh, PN's um, guidelines are that I found very helpful. Like I think their stuff is great is I think it's like a palm, palm protein, yep. right? Palm protein, fist of carbs, uh, thumb of fat, 
And yeah. is that it? Is that missing? Yeah, I mean, those are else? the three main macronutrients, right? Is but it, then, of course, it depends on your goals, um, you know, uh, and how many, like, your, your body type. Like, for instance, you know, classically, people can be characterized in three separate body types, right? Like an ectomorph, somebody who's really skinny and has difficulty losing fat, somebody who might be a mesomorph, more of like an Arnold Schwarzenegger type of person who's very built and muscular has got broader shoulders and then you have the endomorph who people who tend to carry a little bit more weight around the midsection more like an apple type shape and stuff and and so then you know so what what they emphasize is that if you're one of the latter like an endomorph then you pr probably want to do less carbohydrates because you might not be as insulin sensitive so um i mean they've got some great charts that you can quickly just google and they i love the fact that they just make these artwork and infographics and Typically, people can print them out and check them out. So that's like a free resource that you can easily do um, and look that up. But I mean, so that, that's an easy way for people to figure out how much they're eating and how much they should be eating, uh, whether they're at home or at a party and stuff, you know, like again, the calorie counting food weighing issue is if you're at a party or you're out in a restaurant, it's hard to carry your scale with you, right? And then measure your food. But right. then this approach uh, is you can do it anyway anywhere you go. So it's pretty universal. So that's kind of cool. Um, do you ever counsel people to eat more at certain times of day? Like, again, this is kind of blending into the timing thing, which I'll, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a second. But do, will you say that, hey, eat more earlier in the day versus later in the day versus before workout, after workout, something like that? Or I, I, for the most part, I definitely recommend um a little bit more on days they work out, they train, okay. right? Just overall. Yeah. And then uh, definitely after they work out. But again, depending on how they feel and what their appetite is. Yeah. But I looked, I, you know, I, I, you know, I explained to them that, look, after workout is really the best time. It's like your body's like a sponge. It's the best time to have pro like protein, carbs, uh, really protein, carbs. But again, if you want to have a meal with protein, carbs, fats, by all means. But it's definitely the best time to have a decent-sized meal, and it's going to help you recover from your workout as well as just give you the nutrients to recover from the workout throughout the night into the next the next day. Absolutely. Um, so I definitely always like try to get that point across from a uh, from a quantity standpoint of when you know how much food you should be having. Uh, definitely also from I know you mentioned something about think quantity, but I definitely recommend to clients when we're talking about what our goal is and we should probably get into it soon but timing well one that's kind of like timing right you can have more food after you work out but i also like to mention too about how the best time to utilize carbs is before and after a workout okay yeah yeah i mean so we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a second but um uh, again, the reasons behind that is, and this is why our emphasis is always on strength training being the staple, is again, when you strength train, that's going to have, that's going to require more calories to be burned, right? Whereas cardiovascular exercise, during the exercise, you're burning plenty of calories, but afterwards, there's, there's something called APOC or uh, EPOC, whichever one you want to pronounce it, however it's excess post-exercise oxygen consumption. And so the concept basically means is that if you, when you're doing heavy resistance training, 
like for instance, if you're doing a heavy set of any type of squats variation, um, you're going to be in, you're going to be burning calories for an extended period of time, even when you're it's working like, out. It's, it's like 72 hours, right? It depends. It depends, right? okay. it depends on the individual, but also depends on how hard you train, right? Being right. Able to work out. Yep. 72 hours probably might be a little bit longer. Obviously, I think the most intense athletes might be able to do something like that. Probably okay. the regular folks, not so much. But if you went for like a 45 minute to 50 minute bike ride at moderate, uh, you know, moderate to max intensity, you're, you're not going to be burning many calories, um, like even an hour after. So the workout in itself will be intense, but not so much after. So that's something to keep in mind as well. And that's why kind of what, what Gal is emphasizing here is that, you know, you want to probably have your biggest meal post-workout. And I think that's kind of, that's probably what I end up doing. I certainly was doing that before. And I still, sometimes uh, my pre-workout meal might be bigger. And I think, mm-hmm. Just because it's the way, um, obviously, life works too. Sometimes you're not able to have a big post-workout meal. Right. Uh, so pre-workout meal might be a little bit bigger. But I think generally the idea is that around your workout, you probably want to have a bigger meal. Um, yes. Because 100%. you're going you're gonna to need the carbohydrates and then you're going to need the protein. So from here, we can probably transition to nutrient timing, Gallo. And nutrient timing basically... Um, it's a popular nutritional strategy that involves consumption of combination of nutrients, primarily protein and carbohydrates in and around exercise sessions, right? That's kind of what we talk about. That's what we call peri-workout meals. You have post-exercise, post-workout, or pre-workout meals. Um, and like Gallo just said, the post-exercise period is probably, it's considered the most critical part of nutrient timing. Now, theoretically, Consuming the proper ratio of nutrients during this time not only initiates the rebuilding of damaged muscle tissue and restoration of energy reserves, but it does so in like a super compensated fashion um, that, you know, enhances both body composition and performance. So that's what's cool about it. And that's what kind of why it's important. What we have learned over the years, though, that it's not as important as we thought maybe 10, 15 years ago. Right, so nutrient timing matters, but it probably doesn't matter as much as people thought. Like ten years ago, you know, what we learned from a lot of different studies and literature was popping up is that there was a quote-unquote anabolic window. Right, um, and I remember that. I remember that. Got to get it with. Got to eat within ten minutes, yeah, my man. You, you would drop the dumbbell at the weight, and you know, you got to start <laughs> eating immediately, or all your gains will be lost. And <laughs> You know, I, I think that the intention was probably good. And, and what we're learning from is that, you know, again, you're breaking down a lot of muscle and then that muscle repair and protein synthesis, the repair process starts pretty early on, you know, intra-workout and immediately after the workout. Again, like Gallo has talked about multiple times before, you know, you're not getting stronger in the gym. You're getting stronger when you're recovering after your, your muscle protein is rebuilding, right? So, um, but what we learned about a lot of those studies, the big issue was they're short-term studies. Right. So, I mean, they weren't looking at people three months out, six months out, a year out. And as we've done a little bit longer studies, we've learned it doesn't really matter. And that quote unquote anabolic window is is less more less so a window and more like a garage door of opportunity. It's kind of a common term that people use. Right. So you you said um, so why don't you tell us like um, like on a, on a typical exercise day, like when will you eat your pre-workout meal and when will you eat your post-workout meal? So 
again, not every day can be perfect, but I like how you mentioned before, like, you know, you do want to have like at least one, you know, if, if you can make it both cool, but at least one of the meals, probably like maybe your biggest meal. So like, it doesn't always work out uh, this way, but for the most part, I think my biggest meal, sometimes might be the, the pre, the pre-workout meal, like maybe two, three hours before I work out. But again, it also depends on when I work out. If I'm working out in the morning, then my pre-workout meal sometimes might be like my dinner from the night before because I kind of fast throughout the morning and usually I might not have something to eat. Or if I'm going to work out later in the day, later in the evening, my pre-workout meal might be like my late morning, early lunch, and then I'll eat after that with my dinner. So it depends on when, you know, it really depends on like one, when you're working out, really, we have to first establish when we're going to work out on a consistent, uh, consistent time, because that's when we can maximize you know, our schedule and about when we want to have our pre-post-workout meal. Um, and I think it's definitely very beneficial from an energy standpoint and recovery standpoint. And uh, I like to have, I mean, the way I break it down, at least with my own nutrition, is I definitely like to go, I think, a two-to-one carb-to-protein ratio pre- or post-workout, pre- or post-workout. Um, and I, you know, and I, and I feel a difference, man, when I'm, when I'm lifting or, or just training in general, I will feel a difference and I'll feel a difference with how I recover afterwards. And sometimes, you know, it might be like maybe the same type of ratio, but usually I, I it's usually what I'm opting for is two to one carb to protein ratio. Yeah. I love that you said that and you brought that up and cause that's something that I wanted to emphasize. I think that, you know, when I was going through school and we were studying athletes and particularly elite athletes. Obviously, it depends. I think that ratio really depends on how hard your workout is and the volume and intensity of your workout, right? So right. Yep. Mm-hmm. the timing and intake and the ratio of the ingested macronutrients. And again, the main ones that we focus on is protein and carbohydrates because you probably don't want to do fats because fats tend to slow down the digestion, right? And we know that if, if again, you want to quickly get to that recovery process and get the nutrients and into the into the muscle cell because right the muscle last time i talked about we store glycogen in liver and muscle and muscles Mm -hmm. have these basically these transporters that they're kind of like allow the gates open especially when you exercise it allows gates to open and then carbohydrates also open the gates up they're called these blue four transporters right and so the gates open and then you want to definitely have protein with carbohydrates Mm-hmm. like Gallo does a two to one ratio. So if he's having 30, like in a shake, right? Shake is a very easy way to do it. So if you're having like 20 grams of protein in your shake, that's a 40 grams of carbohydrates with it. Like a drink, it could be a drink, it could be a meal, it could be something like that. Yep. Um, again, it doesn't have to be perfectly 40. If it was 50, it wouldn't be a big deal. If it was like 35, it wouldn't be a big deal. Like mm-hmm. it's all good. Um, but it helps augment the muscle protein synthesis response. And it even improves mood states following high volume or intense exercise. Now, that's the emphasis on high volume intense exercise. Like for elite athletes who are training for two, three hours, like really intense, not what most people are doing. Right. Um, I don't, let me, I'd be really excited if elite athletes were listening to this podcast, hopefully someday, but probably not. <laughs> for sure. Um, but so it really depends on, again, what the goals are. It always, always, always there. And if, you, if your goal is to rapidly restore your glycogen stores, um, then you probably should be doing liquid right? Consuming like in a protein shake or something like that. Well, well um, that, that's, that's my favorite way of consuming 
of consuming a post-workout meal is probably a shake. Yeah, yeah, it's easy. Yeah, you because know, sometimes I don't have much of an appetite immediately post-workout, so I'll throw a bunch of veggies. And I, I typically don't recommend people drink their calories, but that's kind of how I like to do it too. Like, yeah, I'll put a bunch of spinach in there and, and just like load that up, and um, probably I'll do water or depending on what kind of protein it is, if it's um, whey versus a mixed protein. Um, mm-hmm. If it's plant, plant probably doesn't go down as easy as whey does sometimes like a little chalky feeling to it but uh again supplementation is obviously not necessary if people are eating it then then that's going to be harder to do right. but chocolate milk's a good one i mean as long as yes it's yes chocolate, yep, yep. It, it's nature it's great and it's got a good three to one ratio probably it does um, it does it's very good yeah but uh but yeah combining proteins and carbohydrates and that's kind of what we recommend this is probably the best place for people to have carbohydrates typically um you know especially if you can't if, if like you're one of those individuals who can't tolerate carbohydrates, um, this is where you kind of prime your body to really take the carbohydrates and put it to good fuel sources and, and really basically store it into the muscle and, and the liver. Um, you know what's interesting, actually, something I've been reading a little bit about, again, this gets really highly specified, but the addition of caffeine uh, post-workout helps them absorb a little bit better as well. I don't know if you knew that. Nah, I actually have not, but I probably yeah. won't try it because I'm not having caffeine after workout in the evening. <laughs> well, it depends, right? I mean, right, it depends, yeah. Sure. Late, so yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah. But I mean, so that's why you'll notice some of these post-workout drinks, like Gatorade and stuff, like, uh, and they'll put a little bit of caffeine, which they'll have like 30 or 40 mm. minutes of caffeine. Obviously, yep. pre-workout, we know caffeine is one of the best supplements pre-workout, but uh, post-workout, I'll have that as well. Um, and, and you definitely want, this is why carbs are critical, because when carb delivery is inadequate, um, you know, uh, performance is going to suffer. Um, and that's where maybe you, if, if you're not having enough carbohydrates, maybe adding a little extra protein can help ameliorate muscle damage and facilitate glycogen resynthesis as well. So, um, again, if it's going to be challenging for you to do it after a workout, you can do it before your workout, probably one to two hours. Um, the one thing I'll say about that, some people get a lot of GI distress. Some people like athletes before sport or something like that. Um, I don't know when you used to wrestle or something. Oh, did you used to eat like within an hour or like when did you eat your pre-training, like pre-training or pre-competition meal? At least maybe 90 minutes. Yeah, at least. 90 right? minutes, like if, yeah. if you ate within 90 minutes, what would happen? I just, it just feels, I'm not sure if it's like, I'm, I'm, again, it could be like a mental thing, you know, but it kind of, it kind of feels sluggish. Yeah. Like you feel a little sluggish. You feel like maybe a little heavy on the stomach. Yeah. You feel like yeah. you got some food in, you got some food in there. I mean, you know, so I mean, but I always felt like 90 minutes, at least to me, right. I always felt 90 minutes to two hours is probably the best time. Yeah. And if I can, That's if like I can make it, hours. if yeah. I can make it three hours, maybe three hours, but I've usually noticed 90 minutes, two hours is usually a very great time for me to uh, have a pre uh, pre-workout meal and then go on, go on whether it's competition or training. I agree with you. Yeah. I, I can't, I can even, do up to 60 minutes before workout then but then it'll have to be a smaller smaller meal but i think anything more than two hours before my exercise like i, I i'm starting to get like I, I don't like that um and it, but if sometimes that's that's all you can do so what strategy would you recommend to people if they had to like like let's just say um they were working out during lunchtime and because they have a, a 60 minute lunch and they had breakfast at seven in the morning and, but they want to get a 30-minute workout out at 12 o'clock, and they don't have time to eat beforehand. Like, they can't even get a protein bar in. What would you say to that? Well, I think, well one, I would have, like, dep- it, 
I think it really heavily depends on how are they feeling throughout that workout. Because if they, if they come to me and they tell me, look, I'm, I can't even get through this workout, then I'm going to like, we have to consider having something before this. Regardless, yeah. regardless of if you can't fit it or not. Otherwise, we have to find a different time for you to work out. Yeah, well, so what I would say, I mean, again, I would recommend a snack, right? I mean, like maybe- It has to be a, a small snack, yeah, for a sure. A small Absolutely. snack, maybe 30 minutes before. But even if that was impossible, then that's where something like a drink, like an intra-workout drink would come in. Maybe have, um, typically I don't recommend people drink like Gatorade or sugar drinks or something like that, but maybe having just, um, obviously milk before is not good, but maybe having a low protein drink. Like sometimes people have these little coffees with, uh, with, you know, like 10 grams of protein in it, but maybe even having uh, a little bit of Gatorade with, with a little protein in it or some, some type of workout branching amino acids can be really good intro workout to drink and sift through. Um, I typically like to do water. I don't like to do any intro workout drinks, but I know people who tend to train a lot, especially athletes, uh, will, will supplement with some, some type of drinks. Have you, have you haven't, uh, t- uh, like played around with that or anything like intro, intro workouts, have, intro, intro drink workouts, or do you have, yeah, how do you feel? Yeah, when I was, when I was, uh, training feel different? My, when I was training for my bike trip, um, yeah. I, mean, I mean, I was putting in three to four hours a day. Right. So, um, yeah, I had to drink, take BCAAs or, or some, a little bit of, a carbohydrates during my long rides like about because i was training 60 to 75 minute resistance training but, but i was also riding for an hour two hours a day okay so, okay so i had to um i was also crushing cars man that mean but it was it was actually really interesting that's good times what's 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 your um not to get off topic but how much from a daily from a training standpoint with how, how again how life is right now for you Around how much carbs a day do you have? I'm actually, I'm playing with something where I am trying to keep the fat content pretty low. I'm not counting at all, right? Okay. So I'm just really guesstimating, but I'd probably say I'm probably around 200, 250 grams of carbs a day. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, on like on 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 days I don't exercise, probably a little bit less, right? Probably yeah. 150, mm-hmm. 200. On days I do exercise, uh, maybe 250. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that we've kind of emphasized those things um, are, are really, really important. And um, I, again, in, in the context of just looking at the whole nutritional approach, obviously we, we did a whole episode on just food quality because I think that needs that. That's the most important thing. Again, if you're going on your pyramid and you're looking at the base, like the half of the base is going to be food quality, right? And quantity is, is pretty important, but again, not as important as quality. And that kind of corrects itself if you just focus on good whole foods and not eating a lot of crap. And the nutrient timing is something that is like really, it's the minutia, the details. And unless you're an athlete or you're a very specific and a physique type of competitor, it probably doesn't matter as much as you think. But right. if you've got the other th- two things dialed in, if you've got the quality and quantity portion really figured out, then this is something that you can, it can certainly help. It's not something that's going to hurt. Um, so that's something that people can do. Yeah, Anything for else sure. You want to add on that, Carlo? Yeah, I would say, uh, like, to, to kind of give a, I think, a brief overview of, I guess you say, the quality of food and quantity of food. I would say, I think most people should opt for, and you let me know all what you think, but I think most people should opt for at least three to four meals a day with at least, again, like, this doesn't have to be all dialed in, but I think if we start with every meal having some type of protein source, some carb source, and some uh, fat source, then all around you're going to feel much better from an energy standpoint. 
because obviously now we're having, you know, the quantity of food is substantial to having somebody just eating two meals a day. Right. So like, yeah. I, I, like I know for the most part, I've had clients come to me and they're just like, I just eat like twice a day. And I'm just like, what do you eat? And it's like, it's not even a meal, snacks. Right. <laughs> and, and, and it explains why we're like, why we're so tired. We have no energy um, while we're dragging through the workout or just mm-hmm. the day with the work day. Why we have that, maybe that, um, that afternoon. And I'm, I, I'm not sure how your, um, your schedule schedule is, but I know a lot of people who work the, like the nine to five shift, you know, they have that afternoon, um, the afternoon crash. Have you heard about the afternoon crash? Like around two, three is like, just kind of tired. I get it every day. You know? Yeah. yeah. So like, I mean, that's because I'm sleep depressed. Yeah. Well, yeah. You, 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 well, you're like in a, you're like in a, um, what's that called? Like a, a residency. Yeah. Yeah. So your, your schedule is kind of like a little all over the place with midnights and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. It's a yeah, work yeah. Consider shift work. Yeah. Although it's a little bit better this year, but it's, it can be brutal. For sure. um, so again, there's obviously there's some professions out there that can be an exception. It's challenging. Yeah. We, we try to Definitely do challenging. possibly can, but, um, I know, I know, sorry, I know what you mean. Exactly. Yeah, so like definitely like th- I think three to four meals a day, protein, carbs, fats at every meal is a good start for people to start off at and then kind of, you know, just monitor how they feel, how they're recovering from their workouts, how the results are, are, are going from the workouts, whether you get your, your goal is fat loss or, or muscle gain and then adjusting from there. Everything, when it comes to this journey, I think a lot of people – uh, don't realize there, there is a lot of course correcting and adjusting. Like I think everyone looks for a one size fits all, like a one type of uh, answer to all of this. And the answer is always, it depends. It depends. And there's going to be a lot of adjusting and course correcting because, you know, you, you have to be able to, to see how you're recovering, like I said, how you're recovering from a workout, how you're feeling throughout the workout, how you're feeling throughout the day. Do you have the energy to work out? Um, and, then, and then from that standpoint, you know, again, like people think about the perfect program. Yeah. I, I think the perfect program is much less, less needed than how many times we're going to be consistent or how, how deliberate we're going to be with our effort and intensity in our workout than actually looking for the perfect amount of times that you want to work out. Like most people, I think, need to work out maybe if, if like, I guess there was like a, a I want to say a one size fits all answer, but I guess most people, I think, will find great, great change with their bodies if they strength train two to three times a week. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? You don't, you don't need to kill yourself at the gym, but seven days a week or five days a week. Like, I'm not sure about you all, but like, I mean, I, even though like I'm going to be doing this type of programming challenge soon, but like. For the most part, I, I like to just train like three to four times a week. Now I'm good. I feel good. Don't need, I don't need to be crazy cardio every single day. Yeah, but right now you're, yeah, right now you're doing right. Yeah, I mean, I, that's sufficient for me, but I, it's, it's like the best part of my day. So I, I enjoy doing it a little more. Right. Than, but that's not, that's not necessary, obviously. Um, but you know what? It's like almost, it's like you know what, what's on the agenda. You set this up beautifully about people only eating um, maybe one or two times a day. So it's interesting that you bring up the point about eating three to four meals a day. Um, I think that when you're talking about uh, people who eat twice a day, 
it's more about caloric restriction, right? That, that they're eating two snacks a day and it's like uh, they're ultimately getting to, I don't know, maybe 800 calories. And if you're doing that for days on end, um, you're going to be in a massive amount of caloric restriction. Now, caloric restriction is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it can sometimes be a good thing. And this leads us to one component of timing, um, we'll, which is a very popular term nowadays called intermittent fasting. Right, Gallo? Yes. Uh, you've heard of it. I've heard of it. Sometimes people also refer this to uh, refer to this as time restricted eating. It, it's really whatever you call it. Um, to me, it doesn't matter. They're they're one and the same. And I think that probably in the fitness industry became really popular around 2010. Would, would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I would definitely say 2010, 2009, possibly, but it sounds yeah, about right. Probably as early as nine. Yeah, because I remember back in 2011, like I was all over this. I did it for a couple of years and. And then ultimately I decided that, you know, it can only take me so far in some regards, um, in terms of aesthetic, like when I was for aesthetic purposes, you know, trying to get really, really lean. Um, and then I had to try another approach. And I think that was one of the main reasons people were looking at it as, as a strategy that, you know, it really fell in nicely with our lifestyles now, how it's like kind of go, go, go. You get up in the morning and we just skip breakfast and you turn into an intermittent bathroom approach. Yeah. And there are multiple approaches. Uh, but before I, I dive into the approaches and some of the benefits from it, because in the medical literature, what we've learned about over the last couple of years, because unfortunately for the research and evidence to catch up to practice, it's just there's a little bit of lag, but it finally has caught up and we're still scratching the surface. And we've already learned that there's so many therapeutic properties to this, this strategy. Um, I, I want to mention um, this one the, basically, the hallmark journal for medicine is called uh, the JAMA, or Journal of the American Medical Association. And they have this article that was published in 2019. Um, and in it, it was this, this quote uh, that they talked about, intermittent fasting elicits an evolutionarily conserved adaptive cellular responses that are integrated between and within organs in a manner that improves glucose regulation, increases stress resistance, and suppresses inflammation. I think we can all agree that those are all good things, right? We've talked about that mm -hmm. multiple times. Now, obviously there's multiple approaches to this, right? There's alternate day fasting, which basically people do a 24 hour fast and will eat. Okay, sounds crazy. I know some people are like, how do you not eat for 24 hours? You can drink water, don't freak out. People do it all the time. <laughs> uh, there's the five to intermittent fasting. Basically uh, you fast two days a week or you have five days of regular calorie consumption and then two days where you're going to drastically reduce your calorie consumption or go two days a week where you do no food at all right but it doesn't have to be like saturday sunday because that's technically 48 hours you can, mm -hmm. do, you can fast completely on wednesday and then fast completely on saturday so that's kind of one approach there's the daily time restricted eating which is probably like the most popular one i think it's originally called lean gains approach which is you daily fast for 16 to 18 hours so this was kind of the one that i was doing initially although i, I did sprinkle in some 24 hour fast but i found this to be the easiest for my schedule is uh you know i would stop eating at like 10 p.m or whatever i wouldn't eat anything after 10 p.m you can still drink water like i said right morning you can still have your coffee as long as it's black coffee um i would not have breakfast and my first meal would be 2 p.m 
Obviously, if your last meal is 8 p.m., you can eat at 12, 6, I mean, do the math, right? So it's typically 16 hours. So it's, you have a 16-hour fasting period and an 8-hour feeding period. You can extend it to an 18-hour, 6-hour. Again, you can play with the numbers, whatever. Not everybody tends to benefit from a 16-hour fast. Some people, 14 is better. You know, you got to figure out how you feel. But in terms of like, I just want to kind of talk about what we have learned thus far. One of the main approaches, uh, benefits I should say, is the metabolic switching component, right? So what tends to happen is we have these things called triglycerides, which is kind of like components of fatty acids and mm -hmm. glycerol together, which they, they break down when you're fast and your body tends to break this down for fuel. So it's breaking down fat into fuel. That's probably a good thing, right? Typically, our carbs is the easiest and fastest way for us to use food uh, for, for fuel. But if you can hold on to the carbohydrates and use fat for fuel, I think most people will agree that's probably a good thing, right? Yeah. And depending on how long you fast for, you can get into ketosis and your body can produce ketone bodies, but I don't want to get too much into that because I think that becomes like really biochemistry like in we might start losing some people. So that's <laughs> one thing. Um, I don't, I'm also not going to get into the hormonal response because they've, they've noted that, you know, growth hormone tends to spike a little bit more. We talked about last time how it's an anabolic hormone, good for recovery, good for fat loss. Again, those are intertwined. Right. It's also helpful for stress resistance, we've learned. Um, at the microscopic level, people will see an increased expression of antioxidant defenses. DNA repair, protein quality control, and mitochondrial biogenesis, right? So that's where the, the literature is getting really exciting when you're looking at like anti-cancer properties and anti-aging benefits. Of it. So inhibits a bunch of cellular responses to help fight that. So that's like number two, right? And um, it also helps ameliorate obesity and insulin resistance, dyslipidemia, hypertension, so much so that doctors are now using this as a strategy to help fight diabetes and kidney disease and hypertension and obesity, hypertension, high blood pressure, right? So that's freaking crazy. And it's awesome. It is. I, I, my question to you, when you, when you um, talk about doctors now kind of prescribing that, is that more because of the fact that like, um, like your liver is detoxifying itself or whatever, you know, whatever it's like the body's getting a break from the usual of what it does. Right. So now it's regenerating itself. And in a way, I don't want to use the word detoxing, but like, you know what I mean? Right. I, you know what? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Uh, yeah. It's not, uh, we don't want to just simplify it so much so that we kind of like dumb it down and yeah. say detoxify. But yeah, in a sense, your body gets a break. Like the average American, eats for like 18 hours a day out of the 24 hours. That's crazy. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, sure. a, there's a reason why it's called rest and digest. I mean, if you're always digesting and never resting, mm -hmm. right? Well, I mean, they're kind of, I guess they're kind of one and the same, but I mean, like you need, even your organs need rest, right? Your liver needs rest. Your stomach needs rest. Um, your, you know, all the systems in your body, need to chill out and recover and, and stop doing their job. If, if your stomach and liver and intestines are constantly working, then they can't shut down to allow, you know, the body to kind of 
the cells to repair. And, and if they're spending all their energy in just like the digestion process, then they can't spend any energy doing other things, right? Like the repair. And that's where the, the anti-aging and the cellular turnover is happening. And autophagy is, is something basically that cells kind of eat themselves up and destroy. And then the, you know, uh, the, the, the damage or bad cells kind of destroying them and then the healthy cells remain. And that's kind of the whole process. I mean, that the body can't spend any energy fighting that, right? The immune response can't strengthen if it's spending all its time digesting. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. And exactly what you said is, you know, in simple terms, your, your body needs a break from digestion, right? So, so, that's, so all these things are kind of happening because of that. Um, did you ever read Jay's book, The Renegade Diet? Yes, very long time ago, though. Very yeah, long time it's been ago. a while. I don't even I don't know where my copy is for it. And um, I kind of want to talk to him to see if his thoughts have changed on his approach, because he typically would emphasize that you fast during the morning, you skip your meal, because that's the easy thing to do. And you have a heavier carb meal at night, because it makes you sleeper and easier to sleep. Um, right. Interestingly, some of the literature now supports that, that you're more insulin sensitive in the morning and less so at night. Um, obviously, you can counteract effects and... and again, I'll talk to you about that offline because I think that it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, but one of the things that Jay would talk about is in his book is, um, you, you know, people, like you said, after they eat sometimes, like think about the having a heavy Thanksgiving meal. You feel sluggish afterwards, right? Yeah. Um, after lunch, that post-afternoon crash that you're talking about, it's like post-lunch crash, right? So you have a tremendous cognitive benefit as well with intermittent fasting. You know, and, and some of the literature is tending to support that as well. So, I mean, like I said, there's therapeutic properties to it, and we're just scratching the surface, but it's, it's strong enough that there is clinical applications in medicine now. And we're seeing tremendous benefit from people actually reversing their disease, which is mind-blowing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and that's really, really cool to me. Uh, so, I mean, it's, just, it's an approach and, and people ask me this almost on a weekly basis. I, I told you uh, that one of my friends hit me up, shout out to her if she's listening, you know who you are. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I think that, that that's probably something that people might have some questions about that hopefully, um, it, you know, it sheds some light on. And, and obviously, if people have some more questions, they can reach out to us directly or hit us up on social media and we can we can elaborate on that um, because there's so many different approaches. So I would encourage you guys to check that out. And again, we talked about precision nutrition previously and PN has a lot about intermittent fasting as well. In fact, JD released like a six month self study uh, for free. Uh, so I would check that out. Um, what do you want to add to that, Gallo? Uh The only thing I want to say add on to, to all of this is pretty much, I mean, I already kind of stated it in a way before, but, a lot of this comes down to trial and error, right? I think people need to, uh, one, when they embark on this journey is be aware of obviously the, the quality of food that you're having and then how you're feeling with that. Because again, like I, I will literally say you're going to feel much better having say maybe some oats and eggs for breakfast than going to McDonald's and having like a sausage McGriddle, <laughs> Right. It's going to be different that the, the quality of food from the protein and carbs that you're getting is going to be a completely different. And so I think from that standpoint, I think people should definitely just be mindful of, you know, at least I think they would have to think 
when it comes to the nutrition about what is the best way to optimize their body and results. And I think when we get us, when we get ourselves into thinking, um, I want to say get obsessive with results, but in a way, you know, there's going to be a time and place where you can enjoy yourself, right? I mean, you know, family dinners, you know, holidays and all this stuff. But I think for the most part, and those are times where, you, you know, people should enjoy because I, I, I hate seeing people who, who are like, they're on this weight loss journey. And I know it comes from a mindset standpoint. But then they think if they have this dinner that all their progress is lost and it's not right. You know, just one meal or one dinner or, or one day of, you know, Thanksgiving meals and just having fun with your family, that is not going to derail your progress. But what is, is if we do that on a consistent basis from having like, you know, always eating out, right? Having that bagel with cream cheese. Uh, but if we start, you know, if we tailor it back and we start settling in for making our best decisions from a food standpoint to optimize our food and our food intake and energy and how we feel throughout the day, I think most people will feel much better about themselves uh, overall and, and the direction they're going in with achieving their results. Well said, brother. Now, before I let you go, man, I do want to ask you one question that uh, you had previously mentioned you were talking about uh, with your own personal nutrition when you exercise. That led me to the thought that sometimes people will do more than one workout a day. Maybe they're just trying to get leaner for, I guess, summer's pretty much over now. But, you know, I don't know. They, they got a goal where they want to lose a couple pounds. Or sometimes people will break up their exercise, right? They'll do strength training in the morning and then do their cardiovascular as a separate session. I know you right. do that, right? Yeah, yeah, I kind of do that. Yeah, yeah. So when you're doing that and you're doing two separate sessions of exercise, how does that change your approach to your your pre or post workout meal? So it would depend on what I'm doing. The so like what my second workout of the day is so like both workouts are definitely not hard workouts. So what I mean is one is going to be the harder work than the other, right? So say for example, and how I break this down is say like, like you kind of said like strength training and then cardiovascular is. Uh, I know for a fact if I'm going to be strength training, right, and that might be three to four, four workouts of the week that uh, I'm going to want to have at least, I want to say most of my calories, but a good majority of my calories are, I would say, carbs uh, for that strength training session, whether that's before and after. And then in the evening or later in the day, whenever I get my cardiovascular, and that can be just me simply going for like a 60 to 90 minute walk or uh, going for like a quick 20, 30 minute hill sprints, right? But what I try to do is on those days that I have that second workout in, uh, I try to almost split the amount, not, not without getting obsessively cra uh, crazy with uh, tracking my calories or anything like that, but I try to split the amount of workout, uh, the amount of workouts, the amount of carbs I'm having depending on the day and what workout I'm doing that day. So say, for example, I'm going to be strength training and I'll be doing hill sprints. And I'm going to try to evenly divide in a way uh, pre and post workout. Those are the times I'm going to have my meals. And then throughout the day, say, for example, there might be like five, six hour window or maybe uh, that's the window. I'm just kind of obviously, you know, just not having anything to eat or anything like that. But two, three hours before my hill sprint, say I'm going to run my hill sprints at eight o'clock. So around five o'clock, I'm going to have my meal. Because again, like, I mean, look, I'm running up a hill, so I don't want to feel like my stomach's um, heavy, but I am going to have a good amount of carbs. And then 
you know, when I finish that hill sprint around maybe 8.30 and I get back home by 9, uh, then that's going to be my last meal of the day. Nice. And uh, so, but again, it depends on how I break it down. Usually it means hill sprints like twice a week. I kind of uh, took a break from it a little bit, but it definitely, when I do that, I make sure as well, again, from a nutritional standpoint, if I'm doing strength training and a hill sprint that same day and another day is, say, strength training and like a 60, 90 minute walk or hike, uh, it's going to be a lot different, my uh, caloric standpoint. I'm going to probably have a lot less on those days that I'm probably just walking or maybe doing a hike than yeah. opposed to the days that I'm going to be yeah. doing the hill sprint and training. Because in those days, there's a lot of energy required those days. And right. I want to feel sluggish doing that hill sprint. So I'm going to have a lot more carbs that day. So usually it's almost like calorie cycling. Again, we could probably get in, have another whole episode of calorie cycling. Yeah, but, maybe we will. Maybe we'll talk about calorie cycling yeah. and carb cycling somewhere in the future, kind of like very highly specific fat loss type stuff. But yeah, but I definitely do some some sense of carb and calorie cycling on the days that I'm going to definitely be working on much harder than days I'm going to be, you know, just going to be, it's going to be like a 69 minute walk. Interesting. So um, I think that, again, what I want to highlight is currently your form of conditioning is what we'll call it is high intensity interval training, right? You're doing hill sprints or you're doing 400 meter walking lunges, which you've been doing because you're on this insane, but freaking cool thing that you're doing for 90 days. Uh, if no, I freak, I, I, not to interrupt this thing right now, but I actually silly as it sounds, bro. What I think like probably stop. I probably, I already stopped a week ago. I actually did not complete the 90 days. What? Yes. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I saw the one day that you didn't post. Dude, I okay. didn't post. Did I tell you? I mean, I posted it up. But literally, this is what happened. I was wait, It was raining. And I was waiting for the... Again, I, I should have done it earlier. This is me, again, being a little lazy and saying I need a little yeah, more time to rest. Right? But I went to uh, lay on the couch. And or I should lay in my bed. And I was waiting for the storm, to, like the rain to stop, to go by. And I freaking fell asleep. What, so how many days? So what day did you? I, I did. Ooh, what did I get up to? I think sixty-seven. Wow, man, it's still pretty, that's more than two months straight. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely. But I'll be back on. I'll be back on it soon. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm already game planning. I'm already game planning. But I mean, like and now, it was easy. I mean, if you're already at day sixty-seven, the probably the first 10, 20 days were probably brutal, and then after that, like your legs are just accustomed to the volume. But yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, it, so it was I definitely taking that, definitely like lower body wise. It was t- I want to say taking a toll, but I would say the first 10, 20 days was hard for sure. Then it got like, I want to say easy, but like your body kind of got accustomed to it. I would say definitely around probably why it was like needing rest or just, just felt like I needed rest was around the, I say 60 day mark. Like I was getting a little tired, bro. Like those lunges were like feeling heavy, man. They were feeling heavy. Were you, I think. Were you hurting in the joints or you just feeling fatigued? No, no, just feeling fatigued. I, I almost was thinking, I, I actually was thinking about if I need to uh, adjust my uh nutrition to have more i guess more foods or just not yeah. more foods just just more calories overall throughout every single day as opposed yeah. to kind of like you know you know so i'm seeing what i what i could have done differently but it, i was feeling very fatigued very fatigued yeah one again we're, we're kind of um digressing here but um did you adjust your lower body volume in your regular training sessions because of that or no what's up did you adjust your lower body strength training volume in your regular training sessions because of this or did you keep everything else kept it um i was mindful of it like say for example maybe not going as heavy on certain days or things of that nature but um nothing crazy where i was like adjusting the workouts 
okay. to what I like just because I'm doing lunges. You weren't cutting lunges. sets for like, were you programming lunges still in your regular? No, no, not lunges, but I was doing like bilateral exercise, like uh, deadlifts, yeah, squats. squats. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, yeah, that'd be, that'd be intense. Um, yeah, like the last thing I just w- kind of wanted to highlight was again, like y- you said that you're talking about splitting it, right? But because your conditioning workout is very high intensity training. If like, if for somebody who wasn't able to do that for whatever reason, and their form of conditioning or cardiovascular exercise is just a, a walk, should they still be having a lot of carbohydrates, like a three to one ratio, Gala? I don't think so. No. Yeah. No. Because yeah, I mean, you know, it's yeah. just there's not much energy being. I mean, again, you're walking, right? So walking does help recover as well, but you're not expending that much energy yeah. by by having a second workout of walking. But and more honestly, so. It, even more so than energy, you're not using a lot of carbohydrates. You're not using a lot of glycogen. Hundred percent. Right? Yes. You're not breaking yes. the glycogen down. So this, it's all about repleting the stores in your body. Yep. If you're not going to use the glycogen from your muscles and liver. Then eating carbohydrates, eventually your body's going to will turn that into fat. Uh, yeah. And that's probably what's we can all agree that. Right. And, and I think overall, I think a lot of people can benefit so much more if they say they strength trained, you know, two or three or three to four times a week. Yeah. And then say their second workout, if they want to call it a workout, I mean, but if they just went out every day for a 60 to 90 minute walk, yeah, it will, I think it will skyrocket their progress more than yeah. you know, people thinking they had to do cardio for an hour or, or you're just some crazy nonsense that, you know, it's just like, okay. Well, dude, on that note, uh, I woke up this morning and I told myself I was going to go for at least a 30 minute walk and try to make that a staple. So I'm going to start somewhere and, uh, let's go get those steps in baby. And, uh, and I, uh, I did my, I I trained earlier today and, uh, I'm going to go for a walk now. So, um, Gallo, this one was fun. Uh, like I said, uh, hopefully people got something from this and remember this is the, this is the more detailed one. This is the less important one. Uh, definitely check out the first one. Uh, which we'll link on the on the show notes here for you guys. And, uh, you know, Gallo, if people have questions, how can they reach you, buddy? Uh, guys, if you have any questions, you can definitely email me, gallo.ggfitness at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram on gallo.ggfitness. And, uh, yeah, that's about you it. On Twitter? You got to get on Twitter. No, nah, I'm not on Twitter, bro. Yeah, time for that. <laughs> yeah, guys, yeah. And, and you can find our, our uh, contact information, again, uh, in, in the show description. But uh, you know, my email address is ultimashiraja at gmail.com. Right. Uh, I am on Twitter at Dr. Altharaja, T-R Altharaja, and on Instagram at dr.altharaja. No oh, oh, guys, also as well, being that we talked about nutrition today, uh, if you are definitely interested in a uh, – I wrote a pretty much, I think, two or three years now, and definitely – give this to clients when they first start with me or I definitely promote it in my newsletter. But, uh, I do have like a fat loss ebook and I dumb down uh, the nutritional aspects of, uh, can they making, get it this, ma- making it as simple as possible. Do people get that for free? They can get it free, my man. We're going to link it. We're going to link it for you. We'll link, we'll link it. Yeah. You can link it for me. I, you might've seen it in my newsletter. I think I, I have it. Definitely, I have that. So, uh, people love it and they've uh, gotten great feedback from it and it definitely can at least get you started in a, uh, at least on the right path when it comes to knowing what protein, carbs, and fats are and what they do and how to structure a, uh, a solid nutritional game plan for your journey. Awesome. All right, guys, a little end of this summer present from uh, Coach Gallo for you guys. And uh, until next time. See you guys. Peace.